Good morning, Parkview. My name is Josh. I am the, uh, one of the pastors here at uh, Parkview, and it's a uh, joy and an honor to preach to you today. We will be in the book of uh, Genesis. We'll be in chapter 4 of Genesis today. Uh, you can make your way there if you've brought a Bible. Um, you will need it. We'll be reading through, uh, through all of it. Um, but we were going, I actually want to start us here uh, this morning by framing up Genesis with another passage from the New Testament. So uh, one of the things we do is out of, uh, if you're physically able, out of, uh, out of reverence for God's word, I'd ask that you stand as we read James 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, you don't need to flip there, it'll be on the screen there, but I will read it uh, here now to begin us. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do, do not have, so you murder. You covet and obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's a tough passage, but we are thankful for the words that God gives us and how he reveals himself to us. And so we say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We'll be in Genesis 4 now. We'll, we'll, we'll make a trip back to James uh, 4, but for the rest of our time, we'll be here in, uh, in, in Genesis 4. We'll be talking about this idea of the way of Cain and a better word. The way of Cain is something like this. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses, climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, maybe you've heard it called the rat race. These are common images or lenses through which we have learned to view reality. There are ways in which we justify our longings for more, our striving for significance. Uh, maybe there are ways in which we justify the tensions in our relationships between those people who aren't giving us uh, our desired uh, love or respect that we feel we need. I want to clarify that these ideas, the Joneses, the ladder, the rat race, they're only lenses to reality. They're not reality itself. We've been taught those things. We've picked those things up and we put those things on. See, Genesis is doing something for us that we need. The book of Genesis in God's kindness was inspired to give us the answers to the meaning of life. Now, we can be in Genesis and ask a lot of these questions. Uh, how long was a day? Uh, why was, uh, or, or how was the world created? What was the order of the things that was happening there? But that's not exactly what the intent of the author had here. Moses was not writing to answer all of those little questions. The thrust of Genesis is that it is a literary piece of ancient Near Eastern uh, uh, literature. It's there to speak to us in literary terms. And what it speaks to us is those, those questions of why. Why are we here? Why are we created? Why are we set to work? And it, and it helps us to understand then from those big questions, uh, the, the how. How do we relate to God, to ourself, and to the creation, the created order around us? Today we're going to look a lot at what happens when things turn upside down. We, we spent several weeks, five weeks, talking about paradise, and in about 30 minutes, we, un, we unraveled the whole thing in chapter 3 last week, and Doug did a great job of, of unpacking just the gravity of what is there. Uh, it just, it, it all goes south when we turn from God. We're going to see that played out today. 
One of the things Genesis does, though, as, as a literary piece, is, is, it, is it brings about some themes. It brings about some ideas. It brings about some characters that we might enter in and, and wrestle with what, what their experience of God is, how we might learn from them. And so what we're going to do today, just kind of the order of how we'll approach uh, this text here, is that we're literally going to just read through it. Uh, and I'll stop occasionally to kind of unpack what's happening here as the story unfolds. Uh, the, 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 big, uh, the big thrust of this, of this text is that we are to turn to God, turn from our pride, turn from our arrogance, turn from our jealousy, and to humbly sit in the created order, to humbly sit as gardeners, keeping peace, seeking flourishing for our work, for our families, for our church, for our relationships. And we're to do this together. That is our big urge. We can only do that through Christ, the one who shows us how to enter into right relationships. So the order of our text today is going to be uh, through three scenes. Three scenes. The three scenes are this. Uh, the way of Cain. This is going to be verses 1 through 16. Scene 2, we'll look at the spread of sin. This is verses 17 through 24. And then we'll, uh, our final scene will be a seed of hope, verses 24 and 25. So uh, we don't have a lot of time. Let's, uh, let's jump into this. I will start in verse 1. Scene 1, the way of Cain. Now we get this refrain. There'll be three times. This, these scenes are broken up by a very similar line. You'll look at these verses, verses 1, 17, 24. They're almost exactly the same verse, just a couple things changed. That gives us our structure here for how we're going to go through these scenes. It opens up with this line. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and Abel. And so the story continues to move. We've up to this point only had Adam and Eve, and, and, and we actually have somewhat of a promise, somewhat of a, of a guarantee that God gives us. In the midst of the curse of Genesis, Genesis 3, we get this question that comes up. God promises that he's going to send one whose heel will be bruised, but who will be the serpent crusher. And this question should be in our mind as we read the Bible. We kind of forget this and only leave it in Genesis 3. This is the question of the Old Testament. Who will crush the serpent's head? So we turn to Genesis 4 and we read this. Now, Adam and Eve conceived and bore Cain and Abel. Will they crush the serpent's head? We read on, verse 2. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And remember, we're reading ancient literature now and it's framing up these characters as literature, Genesis is shaping who, how we understand Cain and Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. This language, keeping, this is what Adam was told to do, remember? He's to keep the garden. So we already know he's the good guy. He's doing what he should do. He's keeping. And then what do we hear of Cain? And Cain was a worker of the ground. Maybe you have to say that a different way. And Cain was a worker of the cursed ground. It's interesting, and sometimes we just read this and, and, and go, go past a lot of these, these details here, but as the inspired word of God, even the very small details help us to understand the story of what God is intending. So don't skip over those. My big point here is slow down when you read and ask questions. Why do we need to know what their jobs are? Because it shapes who they are, and we're going to see this play out. It's suggesting how we should understand these two men. Verse 3. What happens to them? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Uh, literally here, the words behind this say, uh, it burned hot to Cain. 
That means he was fuming mad. And he showed it because we then continue to read, and his face fell. Now, maybe you're one of those people, or maybe you know someone like, that don't do the poker face so well. Like, you know when they're mad? There's Cain. That's that guy. He's no different than us. He gets mad. He shows it. And what happens? The Lord then enters in and, and speaks to them in a very relational way. The Lord, verse 6, said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Now, it's something like he says, like, why you got to be like that, Cain? Why you got to do that? It's, it's not my fault. It's not Abel's fault that your heart's nasty. Why are you being this way? How true is that for us today? Beware the way of Cain. Uh, so Cain, then, uh, he, he does something. The Lord continues here in verse 7. And he says, sin's crouching at the door. Now, before I go there, I really want to look at this idea of, of what do we do with this sin when it's crouching at the door? Because it is crouching at each of our doors today. But, but before that, we get to this idea of these offerings. They're offered here or there. there. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we can talk about here. Why Abel's? Why not Cain's? What is God deciding? How do we know these things? The New Testament speaks into this quite a bit. Um, and someone who will be unpacking this today is, uh, is, is our other pastor, is, is one of our other pastors, Doug Fern. Uh, he and I have had just a robust conversation. And, and I mean, there's, there's a common phrase that I think uh, recurrently, increasingly uh, every day is, praise God for Douglas Fern. Um, man, that guy is a wealth of, of, of beauty, of, of insight into the gospel. He will be preaching specifically on this at East Campus today. You can get on like the podcast uh, and, and listen to him. Uh, he and I have, have really talked through a lot of this, and he is going the direction of what do we do in worship? How do we rightly worship and offer sacrifices? I'm going to speak to a lot of the idea of, of, of what do we do in result of when God chooses someone else over someone else? What do we do with our jealousy? And so I'd really encourage you to get online this week, listen to the East Campus sermon on this, because it's going a slightly different direction, and listen to them speaking to each other. You'll get a very full Genesis for today. And he is just, it's a, just a treat that East Campus is going to get uh, here today. And so uh, the, the big point here, though, I, when we're talking about the, the, the sacrifices, though, for, for our time and our purpose, is that the content of the offering is not what, what God is choosing, whether you give, you know, this thing or that thing, whether you give uh, animals, whether you give grain, uh, or if it's you, whether you give your time or give your money or you give your whatever. Uh, it's not that one is better than the other. He's assessing their heart, and that's, you know, why I say, why you got to be like that, Cain? Why you, why you got to go offer and then get nasty because I liked someone else's better? So again, go listen to Doug. But verse 7, sin is crouching at the door is what God says. He says its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, if you look back at Genesis 3.16, you can do this on your own. This is a very similar, almost the exact same verse here. Its desire is contrary for you, but you must rule over it. In the curse, man is, is, is placed as authority above woman. And then in the curse, all of a sudden, God says, in the curse, it flips. It goes upside down. And he says to Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. It's very similar wording here. We see a lot of parallels of this inversion that's happening. And what's the point here? Why, why do we have this wrestling between Cain and between sin? And he says, its desire is to overthrow you but you must rule over it. It's because if you do well, you will, you will be accepted by God. If you don't do well, the whole thing flips. 
There's an inversion here. Uh, there's, a, there's a philosopher, Cornelius Plantinga. He has a book on sin, and it's wonderful. I'll just quote the title of it. Uh, the big point that, that is being made here when, when Cain chooses a different way is, he says, uh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's what we're going to see. You experience stuff in your life. You experience death, struggle. Uh, you experience uh, relational tension. You experience jealousy like Cain because it's not the way it's supposed to be. When, when we are above sin and sin is down here and it masters us, the whole thing goes upside down. So what will Cain do? Will he crush the serpent's head? The Lord God has framed it up right here. And he says, it's up to you. It's your choice now. And I think that's something for us today. I don't want to just put this on Cain. I don't want to just talk about Cain as he's some distant story guy or, or, or some guy who lived in the past. That's for us today. You are responsible for your sin. That's a true thing about what we read in the Bible. That's a true thing about Christian faith and theology is we are responsible for our sin. Uh, the fancy church word for this is culpability. So it's not your upbringing that is responsible for your sin. You came from a rough family. You came from some bad situations. Your parents modeled for you a bad way of life, and so you're just doing the generational sin. You're responsible for that sin. It's, maybe, it's not maybe in your genetic makeup. It's not the way that God made you. Maybe God made you a certain way, but it's your choice to sin. It's not your situation. Things are just tough. I'm in a rock and a hard place. It doesn't seem like there's a good, moral, virtuous way out. It's your choice to sin. And that's what he's telling Cain right here. Sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to strike. It's ready to get you. But you must rule over it. Will Cain crush the serpent's head? Verse 8. Let's read on. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when, they were in, uh, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and he killed him. Lord God, we like Cain are sinners by nature and by choice. We take the way of Cain each and every day. Forgive us. He doesn't crush the serpent's head. He doesn't do it. He turns to himself, as James 4 says. He seeks his own desires, his own passions. So, then we have a conversation here. Verses 9 through 14. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to you or is crying out to me from the ground. And now, though the ground was cursed, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your presence I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. 
In the book of Jude, the author refers to this downward spiral of sin. And he says, and I quote, he says, Beware the way of Cain. He says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. There's a professor, Old Testament professor named Alan Ross, who clarifies for us this way of Cain. He says this spiral looks like this. And maybe, okay, I'm just going to go there. Uh, maybe think about this for yourself. We can diagnose what's wrong with Cain. We know what's wrong with him. He's, he's a bad dude. Um, you also are that bad dude. How does this work for you? This is how, uh, this is how um, Alan Ross talks about this. He says, he became angry, verse 5. Verse 7, then he rejected the Lord's advice. Okay, guilty. Verse 8, he murdered his brother. We'll get to that. Verse 9, He denied the knowledge and responsibility of his crime. It's not my fault. Shift the blame. And then, verse 13 here, he protests the punishment. God, this is so unfair. Why are you punishing me for sinning? We do that. We do that. So I want to get to this idea of murdering because I've read this, like all my life I've read this and thought, oh, murder, I'm not a murderer. You know, I mean, Jesus even says, if you hate your brother, then that's as bad as murdering. So I think that that's helpful when he reinterprets that in the Sermon on the Mount. But how do we go about murdering one another? I think that that's something that we, we, we pass off too often. Okay, so there's the actual physical crime, you know, of, of murdering. Let's go a little deeper here. What do we do that's maybe a subtle, more acceptable crime that is the same thing as the way of Cain? We murder things like reputation. We murder things like someone's chance at success. We murder things like the person themselves. We get jealous because we're doing a job that someone else is doing and that they get recognized for what we're doing. And we don't like that. There's jealousy. Oh, that's the way of Cain. That's what we're talking about here, right? Did Abel sin against Cain? No. He was doing the same thing as Cain. God just gave him favor in that moment. In your job, oof, someone else gets that promotion. It's easy to murder the reputation, to slander, to gossip, to talk poorly about them. See, because we don't have the power to give glory to ourselves in a way that's lasting, we oftentimes just say, well, I'm going to be the top, and I'm going to push everyone down, and I'm going to murder that reputation. No one is going to like them, even though they're my superior at this point, yeah? No one's going to like them because they got that sweet promotion. Or we murder that situation. I'm not going to give them all the information on the project. I'm not going to give them all the information in the class. You know, there's that curve. I, I did study sessions in college where, where I realized that I was maybe either the one who didn't study or the one who studied more. And when I was the, occasionally, very occasionally, I was the one who studied more, uh, I figured out that there's a curve and I might be, it might be the top of this. So if I give them almost all the right answers, there we go. Self-promotion, the curve just made me best. That's not true. Or when those things don't matter. We can't mess with the whole situation or the reputation. We just go for the person. We just withhold. That's the, fi- the flight side of it. Or we bully and we go in. We do this. We do the way of Cain. We're not just walking out in a field and murdering someone. We do this in our workplace. We do this in our home. We do this with parents who are doing parenting better than we are. Or it feels like it. Because it always feels like it. Because we're all tired and we're all jealous that everyone else seems to have it better. We do that. We follow the way of Cain. But, and God punishes that, right? He says, when you go the way of yourself, you are not humbly going the way of my presence. So, let's separate. 
Just go that way. Let's see how this works out. Go away from my presence. And Cain says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds out will kill me. Isn't that interesting? Whoever finds out will kill me. Okay, I got to ask the question, aren't you like person number three on earth? Who's out there? Who's going to kill you? I think that we could go that way if we want to ask all those, all those detailed questions. I think there's a sense of the text that's happening here. Because it doesn't matter at this point who is out there to kill Cain. If you are like me and I am like Cain, which I am very much like Cain in this one, you may think that you are the most righteous person. That you actually always choose good all the time. I think that's kind of definitionally. If you think it's a bad thing, you're not going to choose it. But we choose good, and we think we're doing good. Now, Cain is sitting here saying, if I, the most virtuous person here, am able to murder someone, <gasps> if anyone else comes along, they're going to be worse than me. Isn't it funny how we have so much anxiety in our lives when we're nasty to other people? Isn't it funny how we have so much anxiety when we don't trust people? Isn't it funny how we wonder what other people think of us when we talk trash about them all the time? It's kind of weird how that works. And that works with Cain. It doesn't matter how many people are on earth. He has the fear that someone will kill him because he knows that man can kill. Man can choose to crush the serpent too, but he doesn't. But even as God sends him out as a fugitive to wander, God gives punishment and God gives his mercy. Cain says back here in the text, I shall be a fugitive and wanderer. Whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, 16. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which is Hebrew for the word wandering, which is what he is doing, in the land of watering east of Eden. So he's gone, but he has protection. He God's punishment. He also has some provision. That's a theme that you'll hear from God all the time. Maybe you're being punished for the things we're talking about right now. Maybe you're being disciplined. God is doing this for your good and he has grace in that. But our question in the story is this. Cain is going east. Will this change him? Will he turn? Will he become a serpent crusher? Scene two. The spread of sin. Well, the title of that isn't so helpful. Uh, that's kind of ominous. We already know he's not going to do this. The spread of sin. Same language as, uh, as verse one. We get verse 17. Now Cain knew his wife and he conceived and bore Enoch. Maybe Enoch will be him. And then we read, uh, we read on here, um, Cain knew his wife, she bore Enoch, and when he built a city, he called the name of the city uh, after, his, after the name of his son Enoch. So he goes and he builds a city. I'm going to pull some help here from a, uh, from a, from a pastor named Tim Keller uh, who, who, who writes in a book, Loving the city, he speaks exactly to this verse here. The first occurrence of the word city in the Bible is here in Genesis 4.17, where Cain, after committing fratricide and being sent away from the presence of the Lord, settles east of Eden in the land of Nod. Cain, the rebel, then builds a city. And here's his big point. The founding of the city comes as the result of Cain's search for security in the world. And it also comes 
uh, because of God's granting this request. The first city is built as a refuge, as a place of security. That tells us that Cain doesn't turn. Cain doesn't change. He, he legitimizes, he institutionalizes his fear of man into a city. But that's not, that, that's not all that happens in a city. I'm going to summarize verses 18 through 22 for the sake of time. Uh, verses 18 through 22, some stuff happens there. To Enoch was born uh, Erad, who fathered Mehujael, who fathered Methushael, who fathered Lamech. Here's our guy. Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. Hold up. Okay, we're reading this, right? He took two wives. This, if you read the Old Testament, you think, oh yeah, a lot of people took two wives. We're reading in order. What did we just read at the end of chapter 2? One man, one wife, one flesh. If we're reading this as literature, as we should, we're reading it, this we come to. Two wives is not the created order. Lamech is a bad dude. He doesn't care about the word of the Lord. He doesn't care about God's plan. He doesn't care about this, this covenantal established thing in marriage. This is giving us, like keeper, like worker of the ground, this is shaping who this Lamech guy is. And we're going to find out he really does not care about God. And so he lives in the city, and he does something here. Uh, so we'll continue on. What does he do? Uh, Lamech took two wives, and the names of his wives were Ada and Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and, uh, and, the, other, and, his, uh, and the other's brother's name was Jubal. I got to like, sorry, I got to stop. I'm super immature here. Seriously, Jabal and Jubal? Like, those are your names? Like, there weren't any other names in all of Alberth that weren't taken already? I feel like you've got, like, limitless possibilities at this point in history. And we go with Jabal and Jubal. Nice work. Nice work, guys. So obviously not as creative, but luckily they were more creative than he. Because we read, these, these men were the father of those who played the lyre and the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. So the city is this place of security. But also what ends up happening, what do we get here? Culture, music, art. It's a great place of culture. We're fortunate to live in Iowa City, UNESCO City of Literature, because it's a place of culture. It's a place of, of flourishing. And what does culture do? What does the city do? It amplifies human activity. So it's not the city that's bad. The city and, and what happens within the culture that's produced there can be really good and virtuous or really bad and not virtuous. And, okay, I'll be honest, not virtuous. It could be really evil. Sin is crouching at the door. How will you use your city? How will you invest into the culture of your city? Keller says to this point, however, as can be seen in the line of Cain, these capacities under the influence of sin and rebellion against God can be generators of great evil. The Song of Lamech, Cain's descendant shows the Cainite city dwellers using all their advances to form a culture of death. And now we get to this dark song of Lamech, verses 23 and 24. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man simply for wounding me. I have killed a young man simply for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And 
That is nasty. What's going on here? We've read it before. James 4, 1 through 3 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, the word behind passions is our root word for hedonism. Hedonism, that, that, that wanting, that craving of satisfying our passions at whatever cost. What causes quarrels and fights is that you want your passions satisfied. You desire and you don't have. You, Lamech, you desired glory, but you didn't have it, so you murder. You, Cain, want, you covet and obtain what Abel had. You fight, you, you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you don't receive when you do ask because you, if you're like Lamech, you just ask because you want to be better. You want to satisfy your passions. It's easy, even this morning, having to tailor my prayers for this sermon. Please give me clarity in speech. And I have to test my heart and say, because do I want people to think I'm an awesome preacher? My passions. Or because I want people to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way we can crush the serpent. Which way am I deciding? Even in praying for this sermon, I have to measure that. Even in how you discipline your children, you have to pray that. Even in how you turn in or do your reports at work. Even how you manage your money, you have to ask these things. Is it for my passions? Or is it for God's glory? I think somewhere in that humility we'll find true biblical generosity. He says, your desire, you desire uh, for everyone to acknowledge how important you are. But when a young man strikes you, it shows that you have not yet arrived. They disrespect you, and so you take matters into your own hands. Will Lamech crush the serpent? Emphatically, no. Who will? Is there hope? Scene three. Verses 25 and 26. With the same language as one in, verses 1 and 17, we read, And Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son named Seth. And then here's her reasoning to this. She says, For God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Cain isn't going to crush him. Abel can't anymore. So Seth, God has appointed that he will keep his promise. And something is going to happen through Seth. I have hope again. To Seth also was born a son, and he called him his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. There we go. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Something about not just Seth, but his lineage. Something is going to turn to the Lord here. We've got a turn. We've got a potential for a serpent crusher, and we are going to find out as we read through Genesis over the coming weeks. We're going to pause and bring it back uh, next year and read through the rest of Genesis. We're going to find that time after time, all of these good dudes, Noah, Abraham, Seth, Joseph, they're good guys that, like you and I, choose the way of Cain. They go the wrong road. Not completely, but enough. No man will crush the serpent except one. One comes. The serpent crusher is born in the lineage of Adam, in the lineage of Eve, in the lineage of Seth. 
All have sinned and chosen the way of Cain, except for one man, the God-man, the serpent crusher, whom the serpent bit on the cross, but whose blood crushed the serpent. The Old Testament often gives us what we need to know as we interpret the, uh, the New Testament oftentimes interprets the Old Testament here. Hebrews 12 is on the screen, uh, and it gives us this understanding. It is for discipline that you, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet. For you have not come to what may be touched. No longer is God far away, but he has come to you. You have come, and here is on the screen, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Here it is. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Somehow the author of Hebrews reads this text and the spirit inspires him to interpret it and say, you remember that character? Cain doesn't do anything. Lamech doesn't do anything, but there's a silent character who speaks no words, Abel. But his blood speaks loudly. The blood of Abel cries out a curse of vengeance. Make this right. Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness. It is made right. Commentator William Lane says it this way, Christ's blood accomplishes what Abel's blood could not achieve. It is in this sense that it speaks a better word of accomplishing redemption and reconciliation. You see, there's no way that we can ever crush the serpent's head without Christ. And so here are the two points of application. One, you have power over sin. It is your sin. You are responsible for it, but you have power over sin. And I have to add a qualifier, a very important qualifier, only in Christ. You have power over sin only through the redemptive blood of Christ. If you are stuck in a pattern of sin, if you are stuck in something, God can help you. God forgives you because of the blood of Christ. You are forgiven. You need to really understand that and hear that in your heart. You are a forgiven people if you come to Christ and repent. That's all he has to do. The anger isn't sin that Cain experiences. The jealousy, yes. Everything that comes from his foundation of anger is. You do not have to be defined by your sin. You are forgiven when you come to him. And we can do nothing without the blood of Christ. While sinners, Christ died for us. It is his blood that crushes the serpent's head. And Christ's blood speaks of forgiveness. This is the turn. This is how the serpent is crushed. It speaks forgiveness to us, but it's not simply to us. Christ's blood also patterns forgiveness for us. So we're not just Christians who receive blessing and receive forgiveness. We also are called to that. You see, it's interesting. We go back. Uh, the number 77 appears in the Bible, I think, four times. Uh, two of those are kind of like a roster and register, how many troops, how many sacrifice. There are two other times the word 77 comes up, one on the lips of Lamech and one on the lips of Jesus. Now, Lamech says, if, revenge is, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. 
how do I return an offense 77 times? And Jesus comes up and he says, Peter says, what do I do when a brother sins against me? And Jesus says, don't forgive him seven times. Forgive him 77. It's not a coincidence. Jesus could have said, forgive him a 100 billion because then you'll forget. He could have said that. And maybe some of that's true. I believe Jesus is answering the vengefulness that we experience, the vengefulness that is there in Lamech's heart. Don't, don't revenge 77. Forgive 77. And that's tough. And that is not the way of Cain. That is the way of Christ. We hear in Genesis that we are designed, uh, that we, uh, not that we are designed as rats placed in a race to decide the perennial victor. Rather, we're gardeners placed in, with, for God's glory to work together for the keeping and the flourishing of our relationships, our culture, our faith. The way of Lamech, maybe that's you. You've been slapped in the face. You've been wounded. And you respond. What you need to do is initiate that repentance, that forgiveness. It's really easy to ask someone to, 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 to repent. You did me wrong. We need to reconcile. It's the bigger move to go to someone and say, I think maybe I did you wrong. We need to reconcile. I bet you have someone, if you're like me, I think every day you could name someone that you need to do that to. I wonder if we get to the business of doing that, reconciling those relations. Sorry, there's jealousy in my heart. I apologize. Stop it. Don't give the devil a foothold. And maybe it's not that a brother has sinned against you. Maybe it's just the way of Cain. Maybe you're just jealous. Honestly, if you, I, I don't know, this is so ridiculous, but maybe helpful to, 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 to remember. If you got a beef against your brother or sister, then really you got to get over it. You just got to eat your beef. I know, that's weird. But that's what you got to do. Just go. Let it go. Like, that's not a sin issue. Just move on. Regardless of where you are, whether it's Lamech and you've actually had sin against you, or it's Cain and you're just jealous, put away your pride, turn to Christ whose blood speaks a better word. I can't imagine what our, what, our, what our church is going to be like if we are a people who lean into the forgiving, redemptive blood of Christ every day, choose the way of Christ instead of choosing the way of jealousy, of hatred, of envy, of strife. Choose the way of Cain. The blood of Christ speaks a better word. Let's pray. God, your word is good, your word is true, and your word is so amazingly difficult to swallow sometimes. Thank you for, for putting our sin in front of our face yet again. We are sinners. We need Christ. We need your forgiveness. We have chosen the way of Cain. We have chosen our own passions above your will. I pray that you would help us increasingly by aligning our passions, our desires to your will, to reduce our humility that we might be agents of your glory. Amen.